Well, this morning we're going to be uh, looking at living like Jesus, and that sounds like something you might hear in a place like this, a church. So how, how do you live like Jesus? And if you think about living like Jesus, you need to know, under, know and understand what really means to know Jesus. And so this morning, uh, by way of repetition, we're going to look at a definition of Christianity, and let's read it together. It's the front part of your outline. Christianity out loud is trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior in selfless dependence Delighting in him and spreading his message everywhere and honoring him in every way. Let's read that one more time. Christianity is trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior in selfless dependence, delighting in him and spreading his message everywhere and honoring him in every way. And as you think about living like Jesus, it's really taking on the life of Christ in your life, letting him live his life through you, and then letting his life shine out toward those who need to hear about the, the good news about who he is and what he can do in people's lives. But as I was uh, looking at what we're going to be looking at this morning, and as we've been going through the, the series in the epistle of, of Ephesians, we, we see that, that God wants to understand us to understand all that he has done for us. But the corresponding part to that, he now wants us to understand our responsibilities. And particularly as we live like Jesus, we need to understand that means we need to live like Jesus everywhere. And as we look at God's challenge to the Apostle Paul to us, it, it begins with living like Jesus uh, at church. This is the place where we, we come hopefully to be refueled, to be exposed to truth either in a new way or a fresh way or to, to be reminded of uh, uh, principles we've heard before. So we need to live like Jesus at church, and then we need to live, at, live like Jesus at home, and then live like Jesus wherever we live, whether it, at school, whether it be in our neighborhoods, whether it be our place of work. And there are specific principles that God lays out for, for us to understand how that plays out in our life. Well, in many ways, what we've done so far is we've looked at living like Jesus in, in generalities, what it, what it really means to be a Christian, and this is kind of a definition that we threw out last week, but also last week we said living like Jesus, uh, in a, a simple way to put it, is that a person who lives like Jesus, and you could say at the entry point, comes to meet Jesus, comes to that point in their life where they realize they need to put off their old self and put on their new self. Uh, that's really what it is. You, you come through life and you realize something's wrong, something's missing, something's particularly between you and a, and a living relationship with God, and you recognize that that what is between you and God is, is you and what you do. And the Bible calls that sin. And those things we do in our life that will forever keep us from God. And so we have to come to that humble conclusion that we need to put off something and put off that which keeps us from God, which is our old self, which is falling after our, our old sinful patterns and going off those things that only please ourselves. But we need to recognize that becoming a Christian is not simply getting rid of something. It's, it's gaining what God and God only can give us. So it's putting off your old self and putting on your what? New self. Now, in many ways, however, if you leave it right there, you're saying, okay, I've got this new self and I'm trying the best I can to live new. Well, what's that going to look like? And so the Apostle Paul now gets very specific as he begins to pinpoint where we live like Jesus or where we don't live like Jesus. Now, the crowd he's speaking to at this particular moment are, are not the doubters, are not the skeptics, are not the people still trying to decide, are they going to get in on this? And, and maybe you're in that crowd this morning. If you are, we're glad that you're here trying to decide, 
do I want to be a Christ follower? Do, do I want to put off my old life and put on the new life? Do I want to gain only what God can give me, which is forgiveness of sin and a life uh, in eternity with him as well as abundance in life now? Do I really believe that Jesus is who we claim to be? He is the way, the truth, and the life, and, and no one comes to the Father but through me? And, and if you're at that place right now, that's, that's what you need to, to wrestle with. You know, do, do you want to stay where you, are, where you are, or do you want to gain only what God can give you? But let's just say for a moment that in the moments we have that you've crossed that line. You have come to that point where say, I really want to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I, I want in selfless dependence. I don't want to live for myself, but I want to delight in him. My source of joy comes in my relationship with God. And experiencing that, I want to spread that message everywhere. And in everything I do, I want to honor him. Well, if that be the case, then what are some, some things God specifically wants to speak into your life? What are some things maybe he wants you to stop doing and start doing? When I was uh, using that camera from the 50s that Brandon said, uh, you know, hey, you know, there used to be there used to be a life. There used to be a game. There used to be a life back there too. But there was a game we used to play: red light, green light. Anybody ever play that as a kid? Some of us older people remember that. You know, I forget some of the rules. But when you when there was a red light, you were supposed to stop. You guys are so sharp out there. So you can get this one right. When there was a green light, you were supposed to go. Well, we're going to talk about some red lights and some green lights this morning. And as I share this, I want us all to understand that as we think about the Christian life, it's all about us, first of all, really, really knowing we have that relationship and then that we're passionate about living it out. I read a statement this week that was really challenging in terms of the gravity of what we talk about every Sunday or hopefully throughout the week as we share a life together. And this is what one author wrote. The only reliable evidence of a person being saved is not a past experience of receiving Christ, but a present life that reflects Christ. Now, that's not speaking to the larger question about whether you can win or gain salvation and lose it. I I believe if you really have a relationship with Christ, you'll never lose it. But how do you know you really ever experienced it? Well, it's all a present reality. It's about reflecting Christ now. And that gets very concrete and very specific. Uh, in First John chapter 2, verse 4, uh, John wrote it this way. The one who says, I have come to know the, him, the Lord, and, and does not keep his commandments. John says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in First John chapter 2, verse 4, is a liar and the truth is not in him. So as we look at the, the red lights and the green lights that God has in his word, it's not simply coming to the point where we want to manage our sin better than somebody else or look a little bit more moral or, or wear the goody uh, two-shoes, but we want to reflect who Jesus is out to other people. And what sin is, sin is that which is not only wrong in God's eyes and whatever list God has, it's not arbitrary, but it's that which destroys and ultimately brings death. And when we participate in sin, there's always consequences for us and for those around us. And what's shocking about this particular section we're going to be looking at is, is Paul speaks again to the already convinced. He's not speaking to the community outside. He's speaking to the church inside. 
And he tells them some things he desperately wants them to stop. And to, to tell them to stop means that they're participating in it. And these aren't particular areas where we're saying, I've never heard of that one. It's ones that we've heard from when even before we probably came into a place like this. It was on people's lists, at least some of them not to do. For instance, we're going to talk about stop lying. Have you ever heard that one before? He's, he's saying this to Christ followers. Stop lying. How about another one? Stop stealing. Is that a surprise to you? But who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Christ followers. And, and, and then he goes on and, and we'll phrase a little bit more religiously, but he says, stop being sinfully angry. And the reason I, I, that's a longer statement is because the Bible says that we can be angry, but sin not. And so he's saying, uh, you need to understand there's an emotion in which will be stirred up into you will cause you to be heated and, and filled with passion. But when that emotion comes, do not let it lead to sin. And what he was saying, this is happening. And then he talks about, don't let corrupt speech come out of your mouth. Stop it. And then on a personal, he says, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. A number of our People are involved in good news clubs and going out in the schools and such a great ministry where they, they get to share the message of Christ to, to young lives. And this week they had 33 little kids running around a room and it got a little chaotic, I heard. But, but you know, what a, what a privilege to, to tell the good news to children. And I'll never forget that the definition that was given to me when I used to do those things by a, a leader who taught me how to do a good news club. And, and they said, one way to define sin, what is sin? Sin is when we make the heart of God sad. And to think in the midst of the one who has created this universe, who does not need any one of us. If we were to describe God Almighty's self-image, it's pretty, pretty well secured. But somehow in the midst of God communicating his heart to us, when we sin, it saddens him. So this morning, we're going to look at the, the red lights, and I'm going to try to twist it around to share what's, what's the green light part of it. But this is where we all live. And, and hopefully, hopefully, in just even introducing it this morning, we recognize we should be challenged by every one of these stoplights. Because it's so easy to fall into certain places where this creeps in. Well, let's look at the simple text this morning. If you have your Bibles, you might turn to Ephesians chapter 4 if you want to underline things or write things in your uh, particular outline. Or if you want to just look at the notes, I think I have most of the text uh, that we'll refer to specifically in your, in your outlines this morning. But let's get specific. What, what does God want us to do to live like Jesus? In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25, it says, Therefore, putting away lying, which assumed that they were still struggling with that, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And this message is, is given to you for those who don't like my fill-in-the-blanks. You'll have to write your own fill-in-the-blanks this morning. But anyway, what's, what we're basically going to look at this morning is basically the how and the why, as well as the what, that God specifically wants to say to us. What's the what here? The what is stop lying. 
Now, what is lying? Basically, we understand is when you tell someone who thinks you're telling the truth and you're not telling the truth, you're saying something opposite of the truth, that which is false. And that's true, but it has so many different ways that can be done. Uh, You can simply uh, deceive people. You can overly exaggerate. You can be involved in cheating. You cannot fulfill a promise. Have you ever had someone tell you they're going to do something and then they didn't what? Do it. And then basically what they did when they told you something they were going to do and didn't do. If you're going to be very just right out there, they told you a what? A lie. it's making excuses that are not true. Sometimes what we do, we, we fall into the now rationalizing or defending what we did or did not do. And we come up for, with reasons why that happened or didn't happen. And, and those reasons and rationales simply are not true. I, 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 was, uh, <laughs> I, was, I was hearing the story just recently about someone in my particular vocation, okay, uh, you know, pastor, and he happened to be a self-proclaimed faith healer. In fact, he was one who would fill stadiums for people to come and get healed. And in that particular area, they decided they'd have a radio program where they would bring a person who doubted that what he was doing was actually happening. And then he was to come and defend himself. And so the, the date was set. And at the last moment, he called in and said he could not come. The faith healer could not come. And they asked him, what was the reason? He said, the reason I can't come because I'm sick. Now, just there, it sounds a little bit strange. A faith healer said he can't come because he's sick. Um, and, but anyway, the, the show must go on. So I had the radio program. And after it was over, uh, the person who was, who, had, who was also a pastor had doubt that these mass healings were actually happening. And, and basically, that can also be lying as well when you are saying something is happening it really is not. And, and so he happened to afterwards be in the mall, and he discovered that pastor was there. With his family. You see, we can, we can lie in so many different ways. Maybe we just don't want to be there and, and take the heat for what we have been doing. There's a cost. There's a cost. I was reading just this past week, the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud. And they say in our particular nation, $80 billion a year is spent when people lie on their insurance forms. $80 billion. There's a cost. But, but we have to decide, is this something we want to change in our life? I was, I was reading this little story about this little boy, and he, he was uh, being told that by his mom, I want you to go to church today. And he says, I don't want to go to church today. He says, and in fact, he says, why do I have to go to church? And the mom said, well, you have to go to church because you've you got to learn how to be a, a good boy. And he responded back to his mom, I already know more than I want to know about being a good boy. <laughs> See, there, there comes a point where it's not that we don't know. We should not lie. We should not deceive. We should not exaggerate. We should not put things wrongly on a particular form that we're applying for, whether it be a resume or whether it be a tax form or whatever it might be. But we fall into that. And then particularly when we get caught, what do we do? Um, fairly recently ago, I was, I was with a, an encounter where there was an individual, uh, and they got caught. And they got caught that their story did not measure up. And then the, the question was, that, well, why did you lie? 
And at this point, I was so impressed because they told the truth. Because I wanted to escape the consequences. The thing that we need to, to wrestle with in our own lives, where is it that we are not, we are not t- telling the truth? If the what is stop lying, the how, very simply in the text is, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. The antidote for lying is being committed to the what? To the truth. That you will not present yourself or what you have come out of your mouth that does not measure up with reality. Where is each one of us maybe, heard that phrase, fudge the truth a little bit, just kind of twist it a little bit? Jesus often, when he preached, it was interesting, he had to say before, he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, or assuredly, assuredly, I say unto you. He's simply saying, truly, truly, I say to you. Why do you have to say that? Because so many of the people who were teaching weren't telling the what? The truth. We need, above all else, to be people of the truth. Because we follow the person who called himself the, the truth. Stop lying. Be people of truth. It's interesting in the text, and, and we'll see this in most of the passages we'll look at this morning. It, it gives not only a, a simple what, what you, we ought to do, stop doing, the stop button, the stop light, stop lying, what to do, the green light, be truthful. Why, why? He goes on, for we are members of one another. Let me ask you, within your family, what happens when there are members of your family you can't trust? You've got to put up all kinds of of, uh, ways to trap people to make sure that what they're now telling you is is true, which is actually false, and you can catch them in a what? In a lie. And as we think, why would we do that? If, if they're part of our family, and that family can be expanded, or maybe our, our, our job, our team, or whatever it might be, and if we can't trust each other, everything, everything breaks down. I, I remember with our children, man, that we, as much as we could, Alice and I would just would just burn it into them. It's one thing to mess up, but if you lie about it, you've now tripled the consequence. Do not be caught up in a life of lies. It's interesting, even the members of one another, it really has the idea of, of even physically. Just think about it for a moment. The Bible describes our physical body with the various parts, as each part is a member of the, the bigger whole. And think for a moment, and there are people after a while, and let me just throw this in for free. Do you know why some people are so good at telling lies? Because after a while, they, after a while, they believe the what? The lie. I mean, they're telling you something, and you're, you're looking for any tell, anything that kind of shows that they're fudging. After a while, they believe the lie. And all we could say about that, that's, there's a sickness to that. But just think for a moment, if, if the wires began to change in our brain and our brain sent signals that weren't true to other members of our body. And, and keeping with the green light, red light theme, say the brain told our, our eyes while we were driving that that red light was actually what? Green and the green light was actually red. 
and then told your foot to keep the foot on the gas rather than put it on the brake. What would happen? Disaster. And it would all be based on a lie that was brought from the brain to the eyes to the foot. That's what happens. So Paul, as he begins the place of being specific, where is it that you are not passionately committed to the truth? Stop lying. But he moves on. He gets, again, very specific here. He goes on in the next passage in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. What's the what? It's very simple. Be be angry and do not sin. Or the way I would put it, uh, stop being sinfully angry. There, there, is a, there is kind of a debate with this passage as far as what the emphasis is. Is his emphasis, hey, it's all right to be angry? Or is he really saying, hey, be careful about anger because it can so easily lead to sin? And usually when it's debated like that, I say, well, let's just take both of them. I think both are true. There are obviously places in the New Testament where Jesus was angry. So if we're going to live like Jesus, it's all right to be angry because he was angry. And we know that the, probably the most familiar passage and is recorded in all the Gospels, at least three of them, where Jesus took the, uh, the, those who were in the place of prayer, the place of the temple area, and, and just took out the money changers because they were, they were robbing people financially. They were taking advantage of those who were poor. They were, they were traveling hundreds of miles to come to the temple to give their sacrifice. They were abusing people who could not afford being abused. And so in righteous anger, he thrust them out. And so there, there comes a place where we need to be angry about sin, about that which is evil, to do whatever we can to bring justice to a place that, that is not filled with justice. But I think that the larger principle here is understand no matter where your anger is, whether it's a righteous anger or just a, an anger that wells up into you just spontaneously someone pushed your button and maybe we'll call it neutral it just you began to flare the issue is what do you do with that emotion what we call anger where you're fuming on the inside and and i think the, the key thing he's trying to say here is when you are angry what do you do with that anger what's your response do you bring greater harm after that is raised up in your gut and flows out into your emotions for instance, when, uh, when, maybe you can relate. Do any of you ever do anything stupid? Okay. If there's, any, if there's, any, if there's anything that is going to rise my anger, it's when I do something stupid. You know, I'm working on something and maybe instead of fixing it, I made it worse. You know, uh, you know when that happens, it just, I get so angry and frustrated with that. All right. Maybe I'm, I'm working on a project at home. Maybe I'm, I'm trying to nail something in instead of hitting the nail. I hit the window, broke the window, you know, whatever it might be. You know, whatever it might be. Well, you think I just did that. Okay, but anyway, I just say whatever it is. Say I'm working on a project and I do something, I mess up. Well, I just, it gets me so, fr- you can kind of feel that right now. I've got to calm down. Okay, all right. <laughs> but but, but let, let's say I have a hammer in my hand, all right? Okay, I got angry, just welled up. I couldn't help it, just, you know, welled up. Now, at that point... You know, I'm not oblivious to what's going on. Okay, I did something stupid. I'm now just angry. And then I go, what am I going to do with this anger? Now, some moments what I do with that anger is I, I, I release it, okay? And I throw the, hanger, the hammer at something else. But when I throw the hammer at something else, what have I created? A bigger problem, a bigger mess, okay? And, and so 
what he's saying, when you do get angry, <laughs> don't lead it to other sin. Stop it. But let, let's, let's get it over the frivolous as far as, you know, doing something foolish and you just get frustrated. And, oh, okay, I, I really feel like, okay, I'm not going to throw it. I'm going to place the hammer down and I'm just going to take a walk or whatever it might be. How, how about... How about, you know, in a relationship where, where someone has hurt you deeply? And, and maybe it's something that's occurred over and over again. And all of a sudden, the more you think about it, their anger begins to rage. And, and as you begin to settle, you go, why am I angry? Because what they did either hurt me or hurt someone else I care about. And, and then you, as you analyze, you begin to say, I'm still filled with anger. Now, at that point, God is saying, okay, all right, you're angry. And you may be angry over something righteously. The, the point is, what are you going to do with it? And we're going to look in, in your life groups this week at, at one of the things that principles that God wants us to think about how we express that. At least it's in the passage a little bit. But, but it, what it's saying is don't let that anger express itself in ways that would, that would diminish your testimony for Christ. It, it would not make the issue better but worse. And the big thing it's saying here in the passage is when you think about that, those things which make you angry, particularly that happens over a period of time that comes that happens all the time. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Which means you've you got to put you got to put a timetable to it. If, if the what is stop being sinfully angry, angry, that the how is put a time time limit on your anger. I, I'm not going to let this settle in my gut. I will not allow it to simmer. I will not become bitter. And doesn't that happen? If you don't resolve things in your heart and your mind, it carries over to the next day. And if you don't deal with it, it carries over to the next day. And then it carries over to the next day. And then all of a sudden, that's, it becomes your character. It's who you are. And whenever you see that person, whenever you see that situation, all it does is well up in you that anger, which is unresolved. Be angry and sin not. And the best way not to sin is do not let that anger last for any significant period of time. Which means forgiveness needs to enter in there. Prayer for God's control and power in your life. To recognize that maybe you are not the person to mete out the, the consequence for that person's action to you or to somebody else. It means you might need to learn to wait upon God and not take those things into your own hands. But it's coming to that point where you realize, stop being angry in a sinful way. And the best way for that to happen is put a time limit on your anger and give it to God. And what's one of the motivations for this? Oh, my gosh. Is that um, we, we... I was just looking at the clock in case you didn't figure that out. Okay. Is... Uh, why would you want, why, instead of letting God win, why would you want to get a foothold for the devil to win? Don't, don't leave a place for the devil to get in on your activity. Because that's what happens. Particularly things you allow to linger and to simmer in your life. So let's get specific. In what way should we live more like Jesus? Stop lying. Secondly, stop being sinfully angry. Thirdly, in what way? Stop stealing. In Ephesians 4, verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. 
Uh, you know, there's amazing things that happens in our culture related to stealing. Just looking at one particular area, shoplifting. Uh, let me give you some, some specifics about that in our culture today. Shoplifters steal about $20 billion worth of goods from retailers each year. $20 billion. Shoplifting in America is, shoplifting in America is the number one property crime. Uh, there are approximately 23 million known shoplifters in the U.S. I don't know how they came up with that number. 25% of those shoplifters are children. That's 5,750,000 children who are being or are facing a life of crime. 55% of adult shoplifters say they started shoplifting in their teens. 86% of kids say they know others who shoplift. 66% say they hang out with those kids. 47% of high school students have shoplifted within the past year. So let me see. One, two, one, two. Okay. Shoplifting often leads to a more serious juvenile crime. Shoplifting spans all economic and cultural conditions. The vast, this is interesting to me. The vast majority of shoplifters are individuals who shoplift not because of financial pressures, but because of social, peer, and personal pre- uh, pressure. The cost, and this is the cost, there's always consequences and costs for, for sin to us or to others. The costs related to shoplifting are absorbed by the honest consumer who pays higher prices to cover the, the, co- the, the loss of merchandise, less prevention major, measures, etc. Which simply says, you know, you know, why are things so costly? Partly because we make them costly. And so, and so Paul, to the church, he says, stop stealing. Just stop it. Stop taking that which is not your own. Stop that culture of, of if it's easy to get, that's their problem. They, they, if it wasn't so easy to shoplift, I wouldn't what? Shoplift. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if it wasn't so easy, well, no, that's not the point. I mean, there, there is a rush, isn't there, to, try to get away with things, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of a rush, and that's why it's done. What's the, what's, that's what to stop doing, stop being a stealer. What, what's, what's the positive thing? Be a worker. He goes on, he says, working with his hands, what is good that he may have something to give who has a need. The, the, the alternative for people who have a life of stealing is, is working really hard. When you work really hard, you know the value of things, don't you? And when you don't have to work hard, there's not much value to what you pick up. And then the, the motivation, I'd be, look at when you have more than you need, then you're now in the place to be like Jesus because Jesus is a giver. And so when you have more than you need, now you can give to those in need. And the Bible says it's, it's even better for you. It's more blessed to give than to what? Than to shoplift, all right? <laughs> it's so much more blessed that way. What are the stops? Stop lying. Stop being angry in a simple way stop stealing stop corrupt speech let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers stop corrupt speech you know we could spend more time looking at other passages in this particular area but corrupt speech what is that the actually word for corrupt comes from foul it's, it's from rotten fruit or rotten food it's it's that which just it's just it just stinks when it comes out of people's mouth it just, it just puts people down in a, in a harmful way. 
It's tearing people apart. And again, who did he say? He said this to the church. He says, stop it. Just stop saying things that don't build people up. And that's really the how. How do you stop saying things that, that hurt others? That, and we, we've all heard that little phrase, you know, sticks and bones will break my bones, but words will never. Yeah, look at, I've broken quite a few bones, and I've forgotten even that I've broke them. People remind me, remember, oh, yeah, I know, I forgot. But you can remember, you can remember, you can remember words. They don't quite heal the same way as a broken bone. And he says, just, just understand that we're not here to tear down, we're here to build up. And the motivation is, again, it's living like Jesus because you impart grace. That's who Jesus is. He's the author of grace. When you build people up, you are, you are a person who acts just like Jesus, spreading the, the help of God in other people's lives. Then finally, and we went through these last a little bit quicker than the first. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit. In the latter part of that section, in Ephesians 4, verses 30 through 32, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't, don't make the heart of God sad, particularly the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, because he's the one who keeps you in relationship with God. You, you, would, you would fly away from God apart from God's arms being wrapped around you. It, it, it's the Holy Spirit who holds your hand when you want to cross that street that's dangerous. He's the one who seals you until that day you see him. Stop making God sad. And then he, he, he illustrates some things that make God sad. Let, let all bitterness, which is that smoldering anger that, that gets unresolved. Wrath, which is a, a wild rage. Anger, which it's just deep-seated. Uh, clamor, which is a, a noisy uh, hurting of other people's feelings. And, and malice or evil speaking. Just let it be put away from you. Just may, may, may it not be me named among you. And then he said, here's the opposite. And, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And then even as we close this section, even as God in Christ forgave you. The how is put off the old self. That's, that's all those bitterness and anger and clamor and evil. And put on the new self, which is love and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. But he closes that last phrase. What, why is, what's the why here? Because again, because that's just living like Jesus. Why did, why did Paul have to say this to the church? Because we have an enemy, which is the devil, who's like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. We have the world wants to press us into his mold. We have our flesh, which is the habits of the old life. And we can't stop lying. We can't stop sinning in an angry, sinful way. We can't stop stealing. We can't stop um, corrupt speech. We can't stop grieving the Holy Spirit apart from the Spirit of God living within us. And if we forget the motivation, we need to realize that, that God is able and capable and has forgiven us of all these sins and more. And because of that, we want to live for him. If you're here this morning, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you're still on the outside looking in. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary, weary of living their lives like they've always lived it, and I will give you rest. And even for his family, he said, quit living the old life like you still 
are in the old life. Live in me. Let's pray together. Father, sometimes you get very specific in things that we need to again go back to and say, God, change me. Give me a heart for you and not a heart for this world. Help me live in ways that build people up, not tear them down. Help us to see these these points of application in our lives this week. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.